So, okay, uh, I really love this chapter, and I hope you do too, and um, that we're about ready to study. So I hope you set your DVR, if you know what I'm saying. But anyway, uh, I love this chapter, and here uh, I would say that, um, you know how you love to sing about freedom? You love it. You love freedom. You love July 4th, that type of freedom. Of course, you love that freedom. Democracy, you love that freedom. But when it comes to spiritual freedom, who doesn't like spiritual freedom? I mean, right? You love spiritual freedom. So I think if you understand and think about and study Genesis chapter 15 and pray about it, and think it through. I think when you start singing some of these thong, songs about J- Jesus setting us free, I think you're going to be free through the thinking of the Word. And this chapter, to me, begins the unlocking of all of that. Remember, switching a little bit, now I'm going to make you feel unfree. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, they asked Jesus, well, now listen, how perfect do you, how perfect do you need to be to get into heaven? And Jesus said, oh, well, that's an easy one. He didn't say that. That's my smart aleckness coming through. But he says this. He says, as perfect as your father in heaven, that's how perfect you have to be. Man, when you hear that, what do you say? Uh oh. I'm in trouble. I can't even make it out of bed in the morning. Maybe you can without finding myself that I'm not perfect. No amens from over there. Right? Have you ever had that sensation Sunday, you know, maybe you were somewhere else and somebody great gave this great sermon. (laughs) That's a joke. And you said to yourself, you said to yourself, I say to myself, man, I'm doing that. Doing that. And by about 2.30 in the afternoon, you've blown it. And you say to yourself, is there any help for me? Who am I? How did I do that? Why did I think that? Why did I say that? Why did I act like that? Why did I commit that? Why did I do that? And you're wondering to yourself, I I just made the pledge two hours ago that I was going to live this way. And it's so frustrating, isn't it? I mean, for the first 10 years or so, and still today, I mean, that's how I live my Christian life. Here's what I thought the Christian life was. Read through the book, figure out all the commandments, and do them. And I grew up competitive. I don't know if you know that. So I wanted to do them better than people. How sick is that? Right? And then I started to learn about what we're going to talk about today. And all the pressure and all the condemnation and all the I don't know, pressure (laughs) starts to melt away. When you understand these principles that we're going to learn in Genesis 15, that's throughout the Bible. In fact, what we're going to learn about today, imputed righteousness in Genesis 15, 6, 
is quoted by Paul in three major places. Romans chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, and, oh, this isn't Paul, late night, James chapter 2. It's amazing. It's like one of the key things that you know and understand and let the Lord wash over your soul with it and it begins to unlock all the prison that some of us find ourselves in, even after we become saved. It's amazing. So we're going to dive into it. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't start by giving a shout-out to hopefully our friend who's listening. I mean, he is our friend, but hopefully he's listening. We had the most amazing ride from our hotel in Austin, Texas, to the airport in an Uber. And we told our friend and this new Uber driver that we were going to talk and say hi to him, Kenneth. And he said, really? And we said, if you listen, we'll say hi. So hi, Kenneth, because he's doing the Lord's work (laughs) right there in a little Uber. Every day sharing the gospel. And he was a real encouragement and blessing to us. And I don't know if you know it, and I don't want to embarrass her, but we have a Kenneth in our midst. It's just that Kenneth is a, not a Kenneth, she's a female. But she's here too, and she does it, and she's an inviter and a share of the gospel, Lika, over there. And we're, we're so thankful for Kenneth and Lika and for all of us who find ourselves in the culture sharing these truths. So when you get to Genesis 15, now, that leads me to this, and I don't think Kenneth would care. Kenneth was a partier, grew up in the church, and he... Uh, became a football player at the SEC school that will remain unnamed, although it was Kentucky, and he went on to play. He went on to play professional football with the Washington Redskins, and he knew the Bible, but he was a partier and a womanizer, and he was into a lot of other things. And uh, but he knew that the Lord was calling him, and the chaplain for the Washington Redskins prayed over him, and he said something changed when that chaplain prayed over him. And now, all these years later, we find Kenneth in an Uber. But one of the things he said, and this has to do with the sermon, is that here he is listening to, he actually was listening to Genesis 14 and 15 when we got in the car. He had turned it off before we got there, but after he found out who we were, and he, he said, well, I was just listening to Genesis 14 and 15. We're like, oh, my. Anyway, he would say he would listen to the Bible, and then all of a sudden he, there would a thought come, a condemnation, or something that would be bringing him back uh, to uh, uh, live uh, carnally instead of spiritually. And some of the times he said he felt condemned. And I'm thinking to myself, and the Lord has you reading Genesis 15. Praise God. So let's dive into it. Genesis chapter 15, as you uh, set your DVR according to your phones, and uh, we get in there. And so here's where we are. Do you know this? You got to know this, that we just finished in chapter 14, in which here's Abram witnessing 
and seeing and rescuing his nephew Lot. Raise your hand if you know Lot and Abram. And so Abram and Lot, last week, Abram rescues his nephew Lot from these different kings, these king groups, four kings against five kings. Remember that? And uh, remember, uh, these two kings at the end of these battles came to visit him, the king of Sodom and the king Melchizedek. By the way, I think, Xander, good job. I could have just probably left. He basically did my sermon for me during communion. Good, I mean, and I'm complimenting him. Good job. And so... Uh, so that they come to visit him, and uh, it's interesting, the king of Sodom, who's a type of the enemy, Satan, says, I don't want any of the loot. You take all the goods for yourself, Abram. I just want the souls of men. And that's what our enemy is after, your soul and my soul. And if he can't have our soul, he's going to destroy our witness, right? And one of the ways in which he wants to render you ineffective is to make you feel condemned. The Bible says if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. To feel like you don't have peace with God. The Bible says if you're in Christ, you have peace with God. You, you and I and we need to preach that to ourselves. Amen? Anybody else here like Kenneth? Feel condemned sometimes. Feel like you don't belong. Keeping you away from the fellowship or from fellowship with him and with each other. Well, Abram rose his hand and said, listen, I, I don't, I'm not going to take anything from you, king of Sodom. Nothing. I don't want to take anything from you. But, you know, give some to my friends, but I'm not going to do it. But this is where the Bible is so wonderful. You see this great hero of the faith. I mean, you would say maybe the hero, of, the, of course, Jesus, but then after that, I mean, Abram's right up there. This great hero of the faith who's already had a crisis of faith earlier on, a couple chapters ago, when he saw a famine, he ran to Egypt. Instead of trusting God, he tried to trust his ingenuity, right? Remember that? Well, here again, we say, see the humanity, the humanness, the thing that we can, that resonates with us because we feel this too. He just gets done with all of this, this beautiful scene where Melchizedek comes and they have communion. And at the very least, that's a type of Christ. I am in the camp that believe it's a Christophany, but you do your Berean study and think about that. But at the very least, a type of Christ, Melchizedek, and they have this blessing fest. I want to bless you. Oh, I want to bless you. Remember that? And now we get to these, uh, this chapter, and it says, after these things, that's why I just went through all of it with you. So if you weren't here, you'd remember it. Or, excuse me, you'd know it. After these things, remember what happened. After these things, it says, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. There was something that the Lord did in a vision to Abram. And he said this, so funny to me. It's so freeing to me. Because I used to read the Bible when I was a kid, following along, going, who is these perfect angels in here? These perfect people. I'm going to be perfect if it kills me. That's how I thought. And you come to this, chapter 15, and you hear the Lord. Do you know that the Lord knows you better than you know yourself? 
I mean, he knows your hurts, your struggles. He knows what you particularly struggle with, what it is that you're feeling, what you're thinking, when you're disappointed, when you're angry, when you're bitter. I mean, you're, you're not hiding it from the Lord. He knows. And he comes to Abram and he says this, too much, man, too much. He says, don't be afraid. Why do you think the Lord tells his men and women, don't be afraid? This is really insightful, spiritual, pastoral stuff. It's because he's afraid. The Lord knows. And for some, maybe, if you want to live like I used to try to live, that can be an unbelievably terrifying thought. But when you get this chapter, it becomes an unbelievably comforting thought. That the Lord knows. I'm afraid, Lord. I know. Don't be. (laughs) And here's why. So he says, don't be afraid. What would he be afraid of? Well, he just defeated with 318 trained servants. He defeated all these kingdoms. Remember, we went through the map and where they came from, and he defeated them, and he chased them up to Dan. Remember that? And he defeated them. And you know, if you were writing the Bible, if I was writing the Bible, I would write the end of the story like this, and they live happily ever after. But the Bible's real. And it shows us that Abram was afraid. He's like, well, shoot. I know I trusted God with these 318 men, but they were only 318, and here I am, and I'm exposed right here, and they know where I live. Will they come back after they regather? He must have been thinking something like that because he, the Lord says to him, don't be afraid. You with me? You ever felt like that? Lord does something big in your life? You... Um, Get through it by faith. That's how Abram lived. He lived by faith. You get through it by faith. And then you get home from whatever it is and you start thinking to yourself, ah, it's the worst thing. Did he really do that for me? Nah, he he wouldn't have. I'm exposed again. I'm in danger. And the next thing you know, you've put yourself into a you know, just a tough spot where you just think it, you just overthink and you're, and it boom, 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 and your mind is working. And the next thing you know, you're afraid right after this big victory. Now, remember, we said this, a lot of times the most dangerous place to be in the Christian life is after a victory. Not when you're climbing the mountain, but when you get over the mountain of some sort of faith issue. Because we tend to, don't we, sort of coast. Not trust the Lord as much or uh, more. Uh, not uh, spend time listening to him, thinking on him. And here, uh, Abram is doing that because the Lord comes to him and says, Hey, Abram, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then, Abram, I am, here it comes. Listen, right here, right here in the Bible, right at the beginning. Remember in Exodus 3, he's going to talk to Moses about this. Who should I say that you are? I am. 
that I am. I've always existed. I'm currently and I always will exist. And that's all you have to say. And Jesus comes in the book of John and fills in the blanks of who the great I am is. I'm the bread of life. I'm the door. You know know all of those statements in the book of John, right? In fact, Jesus was saying to us, I'm whoever you need me to be. Batman didn't get that first. That was from Jesus. I'm who you need me to be because I'm all sufficient and all powerful and I already know what you need. Isn't that amazing? So here he's scared. Of course you would know why he's scared, and it's real. I mean, it's real here. It's raw. I've won 318, but there's four kingdoms. I'm raw. But i I got to get you to see something here. Uh, Abram says, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now, I want you to first think about this lesson. On his journey of faith, the Lord has said he's going to do something great through Abram, correct? Do you know what he said? Well, if you've been here a couple weeks, you would know this, that in uh, Abram chapter 12, I almost said Abram chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, go there. The Lord said to Abram, get out of your country. He lived in the Ur of the Chaldeans. And he said, Leave your family. Get away from your family. Leave your family. And from your father's house. And remember, uh, Abram didn't do that perfectly. He took snot-nosed little kid Lot with him, who became such a thorn in his side, and yet he was patient with him and rescued him. He doesn't do it. And I'm going. you're going to go to a land that I will show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. Watch. Can you imagine receiving this promise from the Lord? Living in the Earl of the Chaldeans. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so we've been thinking on that promise as we've been moving through chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. And now he gets to that point where he's had a huge victory and he's scared. And the Lord comes to him and says, don't be scared. Here's why. I've got good reason for you. The first one, I am the great I am. I am your shield. I'm your shield. Now, you know that later in the book of the Bible, or in the books of the Bible, in the Psalms, the psalmist, the psalmists found out that that was so true. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. Psalm chapter 3. My glory, the one who lifts my head when you're sad. Anybody here ever been sad? Were you sad this week? I'll be a shield, man. I'll protect you, and I'll lift your head in that. Just look to me, and I'll lift your head up. I'm I'm your shield. How about in Psalm 28? For he has heard the voice, voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I'm helped. I'm helped, and my heart exalts. And then I give thanks in song. It says it right there in 
chapter verses 2 through 7. Psalm 33, he is our help and our shield. Psalm 84, verse 9, behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of our anointed. You see it all throughout the Bible. And then he says, your exceeding great reward. This comes straight from the Lord. He's got to teach Abram something as he moves in his journey of faith that every one of his in here have to learn. You have to learn this or you'll never be free. Never. That the Lord is your shield and the Lord is your portion. Now watch. You remember this? <laughs> there was this group of families that you're going to learn about as we move through the Old Testament. They're called the Levites. They were in charge of the priesthood, the uh, things of the uh, uh, temple and the tabernacle. They ministered unto the Lord. And uh, when they get into the promised land, all the families of God get into the promised land. They're sitting around and God's dishing out through Joshua the territories. Okay, what do we get? You get up there. Okay, what do we get over there? What do we get? It gets to the Levites, and he says, uh, what do you get? And the, uh, or what do we get, the Levites say? And the Lord says, well, you don't get anything. You get me. The Lord will be the Levites' portion. Now, they had some cities, but they didn't have a territory. Because the Lord was their portion. And here's what I'm trying to say as in a roundabout way. The Lord wants on Abram's journey of faith him to learn that it's him, God, that is our shield and our portion. And you go, yeah, you just read me that. Yeah, but here, listen. Here's how you become free. See, here's what happens a lot. Lord, I don't have enough money to pay my rent. You got to come through. It's tomorrow. The landlord needs it tomorrow. And the Lord may or may not answer in the way that you just prayed. But then we say, Lord, my marriage is in trouble. I need you to fix that. Uh, my job's in trouble. I need you to fix that. Uh, Lord, uh, uh, my rent's due. I need you to fix that. And we just sort of run around in our prayers and ask the Lord to be our butler. And the Lord wants you to learn that if you live your Christian life like that, your joy is going to be like this. And then, oh, circumstance. Great. I'm, gosh, you're so amazing, Lord. But then next week, boom, circumstance terrible. And here's what the Lord says. I want you to notice this. Listen, this is key. The Lord didn't say, I'm giving you a shield. And the Lord didn't say, I'm giving you a great reward. The Lord said, I am your shield. And I am your great reward. And if you'd never learned that, you're always going to be up and down because here's why. There's this thing called life. With a world in which you live that's fallen and there are going to be circumstances that come into your life that you're going to think are terrible and awful. 
And if the Lord doesn't answer your prayer the way in which you think should be answered, you're going to get bitter and mad. Have you ever prayed to the Lord for something and he didn't answer it the way you wanted to or I wanted to? And you got a little upset with him. Come on, be honest. And here what the Lord is saying is, Abram, I want you to experience a life with me where that's enough. And Abram, you, you're going up and down here a little bit because you're human. But you and I, we need to work together so you get to the place where you don't ask just for a shield when things come around that you need protecting from, that you meet with me and you ask for me. I want you to think about something. This is sort of morbid, but oh well. You ever, how much time have you spent with the Lord over the last month? Just you and him walking down the street, on the trails, in your little book nook, whatever. Not something where you're flipping through the phone. It's just you and the Lord just walking and talking, reading his word, talking to him, praying to him. Or were you too busy for that because everybody else had you plans for you, things for you to do. You put these plans on yourself. You were walking around. You you know when it comes to your last breath on the earth? (laughs) You you know who it's going to be between? You and the Lord. And he's going to usher you into heaven by the blood of Jesus Christ. I get it. We all have responsibilities. We all have things to do. But when is the last time you just said, Lord, I just want you to be my portion. Let's just come. I'll come, Lord. I'll put the phone down. I'll put the TV down. I'll put the Netflix down. I'll put Instagram down. I'll put reels down. I'll put it all down and I'll just walk with you and I'll talk with you. You can tell me how you're my, I'm your own again and again. And I know, Lord, when I'm there, that's the safest place to be because you're my shield. I don't need a shield. I need you. And I don't need all these inheritance things and these goods and the, all of that sort because my inheritance is you. That's the same phrase as your portion. My lot is you. My portion is you. When was the last time? See, that's the place to be. Watch, I started this by saying, that's the place to be for freedom. That's the free place. That's where you're free. This, but your joy is like this. It's always beaming and brimming over. Now, does that mean you're, you're sad? Not, of course you're going to be sad sometimes. But you can still have a rooted, anchored hope in the Lord, even in your sadness. Jesus was sad, of course. We're real people with real things. You can have joy while you're mourning. Do you know that? There's nothing wrong with mourning. Of course not. We're going to go through it. But you could still have joy and hope even in the middle of mourning when you recognize it's not about the gifts It's the giver himself. There's where joy is. There's where freedom is. Okay, so you see it. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. You're exceeding great reward. 
And Ab- but Abram said, listen, it's so funny. The Bible is hysterical right here. Okay, 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 Lord, great. You're my shield, you're my horn, I get it. But, am I right? But, Lord God, by the way, he says, he uses the phrase in the Hebrew there that's very respectful. But he does say, Lord God, what will you give me? He's so human. Okay, great, 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 great. But what will you give me? You know I'm childless. Don't have a kid yet. These people are older now. Abram and Sarah are 80, 70 years old in that range. What will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? What will you give me? If you don't give me a kid, he's saying, the custom back then was, well, I have a servant here. His name's Eleazar. He's going to get all my stuff. I have no heir. What are you doing, Lord? And he doesn't say it disrespectfully, but he does say it. And it's fascinating to me because that's sometimes what we say. Uh, hey, Tim, I, I'm your reward. I'm your shield. I know, Lord, but, but what are you going to give me? Amen? So wonderful. So I go childless. Abraham said, look, you're giving me no offering, giving me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. That's Eleazar. And behold, the word of the Lord, that's the first time that phrase is used in the Bible. I've been bad at pointing out all the first time words and phrases. There's hundreds of them littered throughout here. But here he says, behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one won't be your heir. Eleazar is not it. But one who will come from your own body. He's very specific. He's telling him, Oh, no, 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 you don't get it. And Abram's saying, yeah, but I'm 80. And the Lord's saying, yeah, but one's going to come from your body. You and Sarah are going to have a baby, your own, an heir. And then he brought him outside. Stop. In this day and age, man, you need to circle that outside. I need to circle that. I, I took a, a little pen and I took outside and I went up in my Bible and I put, get alone with the Lord. Whatever I have to do, go be alone with the Lord. Well, the Lord hasn't spoken with me to ever. I mean, you, you stand up there and you talk about the Lord speaking into it. And then you say, well, what's your devotion? Well, I don't know. You know, I never really have a devotion. Well, what's your, you know, and then you dive further. What's your Instagram? Well, I got, you know, 65 million likes and followers, and I keep a big track of that. Yeah, but what's your devotional life like? And I'm very busy, so it's very difficult. But, but when were you last alone with the Lord? Just you and he and his word. The word of the Lord came to him. He was outside. He was alone with the Lord. Oftentimes, that's when the Lord speaks. He speaks in that still, small voice. Now, it can be in the middle of wind or earthquakes or all that sort of thing. But look here. Abram went and got outside with the Lord and got alone with him. You know what you should do if you're on your phone right now? And some of you are, and that's okay because you're looking at your Bible. Type in there every day, whatever time you get up, first 20 minutes, 
30 minutes alone with the Lord. Let that thing beep, put it away and go outside or wherever you go and be alone with the Lord. He wants to be your portion. So look now toward heaven and count the stars. Now remember in chapter 13, in chapter 13, this is happens differently here. In chapter 13, he said, your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth. If you came to our house, there's enough dust there for all of us, but that's not her. It's me. I mean, it's me too. My home just got flooded. Uh, we're, our basement is all torn up. We got everything in the, th- I mean, oh my goodness, there's dust everywhere flying. But think about it. If you went outside or you went uh, wherever you go, there's dust in the air when you see the, that wasn't a slam on Jan, folks. That wasn't a, too late, she says. <laughs> right, it's true, but it's not Jan. It's uh, the function of our house. But uh, uh, So he says that, that your descendants are going to be like the dust. Here he says, look, look toward heaven, count the stars if you're able to number them. Now, I'm going to get corrected after this, but I, you know, I think somewhere between 30 and 50,000 stars they have cataloged. But there's so many more, like billions. I'll get an email after this. Mark's looking it up right now. He's, he likes that stuff. <laughs> Mark loves the, he studied that in college, so I might have my uh, figures off a little bit, but I know this. The catalog is not more than 100,000. And what I'm trying to say is there's billions of stars. So he's saying to him, you're, you're going to have a lot of people come from your heirs. But then in Genesis, or, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Genesis chapter 32, he says, your descendants are going to be like the sand on the seashore. Here, who here lives near the beach? You live near the beach. There's folks back there. You ever just picked up one hand of sand? Try to count it. Right? You're going to be in trouble because you can't count it. It's so, there's so many. And he says that. And so he's telling him everywhere you go, you're walking, you look down at the sand, you're near the ocean. It's going to remind you of my promise. You look up in the sky during the night, it's going to remind you of your promise. You go to Tim and Jan's living room. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) That's funny. But everywhere, you can see the dust streaming in through the, the glass. You're going to say, wow, the Lord's so faithful. It's him. He's going to deliver. He said he would do it. He's going to do it. That's what the Lord's doing here. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And look, here's something really important. Here it comes. Here's the freedom. Here's the freedom. How perfect do you have to be? To get into heaven, well, as perfect as the Father in heaven. You say, whoa, I am toast. There is no way. I can't even make it out the door. I can't even, I already offended Agnes and I offended Jan and I'm in a sermon. (laughs) I can't even do any of that. And he says, listen to this, to to Abram, and he believed in the Lord. And you go, oh, okay, well, I believe in the Lord. But something happened here. He believed in the Lord. And he, the Lord, accounted it to him, Abram, for righteousness. 
You're like, oh, freedom, okay, what are you talking about? Oh, I said Romans chapter 3 earlier. It's actually Romans chapter 4. But in Romans chapter 4, and Galatians, and James chapter 2, it could be 3 and 4 there. It's the whole thing, 3 and into 4. Listen, Paul takes what God is saying to Abraham, or Abram here, and delivers to us, in my opinion, one of the most freeing doctrines of the entire Bible. And here it comes. That he who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is Paul writing this now, he who knew, knew no sin, Jesus, became sin. Where did he become sin? At the cross. Now, he never became a sinner, but listen, listen, this is important. The sin of the world was imputed to Christ at the cross. It was placed into his spiritual, so to speak, bank account, and God poured his wrath out because sin must be dealt with by the wrath of God. Why do you think there were all those animals slaughtered in the Old Testament? God was showing you how serious and devastating sin is. And so the sin of the world is imputed to Christ at the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 In him, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for who? For us. That uh, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay. Yeah, that's amen. Here's why it's amen, because the sin of the world is imputed to Christ at the cross. God pours out his righteous indignation and wrath on Christ at the cross. Remember, your righteousness, or excuse me, your sin demands that it be dealt with, that the wrath of God, that there be penalty. But at the cross, the sins of the world were imputed to Christ. The wrath of God is poured out on Christ. Christ takes what the end of the law delivers, which is death, and then rises again and defeats it. And now in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that those who trust in Christ, who are found in Christ, have what he has in a sense in this way. The righteousness of God is imputed to you. So that when you die and you hear in your ear, how how righteous, how perfect do you have to be to get into heaven? You, you hear, oh, you have to be as perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect. And you show up in heaven in an instant. And the Lord says, you can come in because I see you through the blood of my son as perfectly righteous. Now, why am I listen, are you getting this? This is freeing. You can just live by the Spirit. That doesn't mean you just live some loosey-goosey life, do what you want, live like you know what, and then say, Lord, help me. No, you don't live like that. You're so thankful and you have the Spirit of God. You're a new creation. It says it in 2 Corinthians 5. You're a new creation. All the old things have passed. You're new. You're a new creation. Now you live for the pleasure and fame of God instead of the pleasure and fame of you. And you have the righteousness so that you're, you know it. If you go out here on 837 after here, 
God forbid, and a bus just kapow, nails you. You're not scared of death. Oh, you don't want to physically have that impact, but you're not scared of what's after. And here's why. Because you know the one you serve has paved the way for you to be in heaven for all time, in eternity with God, and you have the righteousness. Are you understanding? So that when you think back to rent being paid, yeah, I got to be a good citizen and pay my rent, or that bill's due, or, you know, the, the guy didn't like me, or the girl didn't like me, or I... Whatever. You just live like this. Or you, you say, oh, man, you look across and you say, that girl in my school, she's so spiritual, and I'm nowhere near her. Well, how spiritual is perfectly righteous? That's who you are in Christ. Are you moving and growing in a sanctifying way on different levels of sanctification? Of course. But the Bible says, listen to me, positionally, spiritually, positionally, you're perfectly righteous before God by the blood of Christ. And I want you to see that Abram... Uh, I'm not all that smart, but even I can get this one. Genesis comes before Exodus in the Bible and in time, right? What happened in Exodus? The law was established. So you got to think that through because Abram believed the Lord. By the way, the phrases are this. The phrases in believed is the same thing like in the word amen. When you say amen, you know what you're saying? So be it. So be it. And here, God was speaking to Abram, and oh, by the way, some people have said, when he's speaking of him, about his descendants, some Hebrew scholars are saying it's not plural, it's singular. And so there's something going on there. What some Hebrew scholars are saying is that he's telling Abram that you're going to bless the whole world through your life, but you're going to bless him through one of your seed. And that seeds the Messiah. And Abram, think about it, with Melchizedek, who is a type of Christ or could be a Christophany, look at this, is celebrating by bread and wine. Do you think that's an accident? So that Abram is looking forward to the things that the Messiah are going to, is going to accomplish, and he believes and says, so be it. And it's accounted to unto him as righteousness. You just did something, look at this, from the opposite end of that, or the other side of that is a better way of saying it. You're on this side of the cross, look at this, celebrating with the bread and the wine, looking back to what the Messiah accomplished and saying, praise God, it's already done. 
And now the righteousness of God is in those who surrender their life to Christ. Now look, come on, come on. That's a clap. Okay, I'll clap. Right. That's the, be- that's the biggest celebration of all time here. It's, this is it. This is freeing. And you see it in Abram here. Abram's not just a good little boy who follows all the rules. Abram's a man who has a relationship with God through his Messiah. And sometimes he asks the questions, but what do you give me? You're telling me all this great theological stuff, but what do you give me? And sometimes, listen, you may act poor, you're still being sanctified, or you may act like a saint. But it doesn't negate the fact that positionally, look, you're perfectly righteous. Ooh, staggering. Maybe I'm not getting this across. I might try it again. <laughs> so that he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the Earl of Chaldeans. Wait a minute. He believed in the Lord and he accounted to him for righteousness. Uh, then he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. I'm going to go through your history with you again. Abram, Abram, look, you have righteousness. It's imputed. Don't look bored. I'll just be honest with you. Don't look bored here. This is it. This is the core. This frees you up. This keeps you from depression, spiritual depression. This keeps you from being, you know, the, the firework in the sky who lasts with his zeal or her zeal for two weeks. I'll come in. I'll help everything in the church. I'll do everything. I'll be everything. Tell me what I can do. They're gone in two weeks. Sad. It's the saddest thing. It makes me want to cry. But when you know this, you just live a life of joy all the time. And so he says, listen, listen to this. Remember what I did for you, Abram? I brought you up out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. That was a long way. And to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, <laughs> it just keeps going on. It's too funny when you really examine. But Lord, how am I going to know that I'll inherit it? The Lord's teaching him. You, you keep, you take me at my word. And he's being patient here. You see it? He's being patient here with Abram. Oh, I would have said, hey, dummy, I told you from chapter 12 on that you were going to get all this stuff. Why do you keep asking me? That's what I would have said. Maybe you would have too. The Lord says, no, 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 listen. Bring me a three-year-old heifer. Hey, bring me a three-year-old female goat. And bring me a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Folks, this is what God's going to use in the sacrificial system, these types of animals. Okay, you get that? And he says, you go get these animals and bring them to me. And then he brought all these to him, and he cut them in two. Does that sound horrible? Well, in Jeremiah 34, you could go read it. It was the legal way of signing something. You go down to the lawyer's office and... You know, we charge you a big amount of money and you come in and we ask you to sign on the bottom of a document, right? And what do you generally have during those times? Like if you have a will, it depends on what state, but 
What do you have also in terms of, you have a couple witnesses and they witness the document and then you sign and then the other party signs and now you're bound in this covenant. It's a two-party covenant. You get it? Everybody raise their hand if they get it. I'm going to cut your lawn or whatever. I'm going to cut your lawn and when I cut your lawn, you're going to pay me 50 bucks. It's a contract. It's a bilateral contract between two parties. Everybody with me? Here he says, hey, Abram, we're going to make a contract. We're going to make, this is what they did. In in ancient times, they did this. And what they would do is they would take an animal. Sorry, folks. And they would cut the animal down the middle. They would put it off to the left one side, off to the right one side, and the two parties would walk down the middle. And what they were saying to each other is, we're making a covenant here. You're going to cut my grass or whatever. I'm going to pay you 50 bucks. And it's a big deal. Look around. It's a big deal if you don't live up to your contract here. It's a big deal. You get it? There's blood and death involved. (laughs) We're signing it in blood. This is a big deal. And you could go read about it in the Bible in Jeremiah 34. So the Lord says, okay, bring me these ones. I'm going to cut it down the middle, and I'm going to place each opposite the other. But he didn't cut the birds in two. And listen to this. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. This is total foreshadowing. This makes me tear up. This is my friend Kenneth in the car in the Uber. God's telling him, I've imputed my righteousness unto you. I'm going to talk about here in a minute how the covenant was made. We'll we'll get to that in a minute. But look, what does the enemy of your souls want to do immediately? feed on all that transaction and say things like this, like my friend is hearing, you're nothing. Why would you go to church? You're nobody. I mean, you said the such and such word this week. How can you call yourself a Christian? You cussed. You were short with somebody. You lied. You took a pen from work. Mm. Who are you? You better stay away from the fellowship and the people. You call yourself a Christian. You're a nobody. You looked at that wrong thing. The vultures come. And they try to eat away at the righteousness that's been imputed to you and me. And to think that you don't belong anymore so that the enemy will keep you ineffective. You get it? And here you see it right here. It's... Ben, it's like this, that silly game. The Lord does something magnificent. The enemy comes and tries to destroy it. Boom, the Lord covers it up, right? And here, the vultures come and Abram drove them away. And now when the sun was going down, of course, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Man, if you get this, your whole life's going to be changed. I'm getting ready to make a covenant with you, I would say. What are you doing going to sleep? we got to sign the documents. We're not waiting another day. That's what I'd say. But he falls asleep. A deep sleep comes upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. 
Uh, uh, and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward, and they shall come out with great possessions. He's giving him a foreshadowing of the nation of Israel having to go into Egypt. He's telling them, I'm going to make your descendants great, but they're going to have to go to the land of Egypt, which represents the world. They prophesy of this captivity, and they prophesy of the exodus. And it's shocking to Abram. What do you mean? You said you were going to give me everybody, but they're going to have to go through all this. Now look, now as for you, listen, you shall go to your fathers in peace. Now the fathers here, Adam, Seth, Noah, not their biological fathers, but his spiritual here fathers, listen, and you're going to be buried at a good old age. You're going to have shalom when you die, he says to Abram. Why? You're going to have perfect peace when you die. Folks, if you're in Christ, listen to this. When it's just you and the Lord, last couple breaths, and you know, you know, you, you're saved by the blood and filled with the Spirit, and you slip into, you're at perfect peace. I mean, what can man do to you? Me, us, we. What can man do to us? We don't live by circumstances. We live by the reality of Christ in our life and here. But in the fourth generation, they're going to return. They're going to return to their homeland. Listen, for the iniquity of the Amorites, that's another way of saying the people who live in Canaan. Just hang with me for a minute. Because here's another one of my pet peeves. Is this one of your pet peeves? The God of the Old Testament is way different and mean and awful in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, man, he's so loving. It's, it's like the Lord, it's like he's saying like, people say like, oh, it's like Jesus is pacifying God in the New Testament. So everything's good. But in the Old Testament, he's way different. He's mean and angry. And he goes and he wipes out whole civilizations. Well, here I want you to see something. He tells Abram, 400 years prior to the time that Joshua comes into the promised land, what does Joshua do? He goes in and he fights, and the Lord tells him, wipe out all the people of Canaan, and you all come to me or your pastor and go, what's this? Well, here's the deal right here. Listen to how good and kind and forbearing and merciful and loving and thoughtful and caring and loving, I'm doing it on purpose, that the Lord is. He says, I'm going to give the people of Canaan 400 years, and I'm going to keep speaking to them and showing them my love, and I want them to return to me. That's what's happening here. He says, but in the fourth generation, they'll return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. I'm going to be patient with them. I'm going to still try and woo them. Leviticus 18 describes all awful, awful sexual practices, bestiality. And on and on and on. You go read it afterwards, okay? Leviticus 18. And these people in Cana were sacrificing children on the hot arms of idols. They were taking their firstborn and laying them down there and letting them sizzle to death. And the Lord says, I'm going to give them 400 years. And in Leviticus 18, he describes all these sexual practices. And then he says, 
Listen, he goes, and for these iniquities, this is why they were driven out of the land. Those people who lived in Canaan. But you're, you're not getting it. Right here, God says, I'm giving them 400 years. I'm going to be patient if they'll... When somebody brings that argument to you, you bring them right here. And you go, wait a minute. That's not legit. Look here. In the fourth generation, they'll return for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down, watch this, and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch, the glory of God it represented, a smoking oven and a burning torch. Watch, watch, watch. You know those two, the animals are cut in half? You know that? They're cut in half? The smoking oven, the burning torch went down the middle. It represented the glory of God. Watch, Abraham was asleep. Remember I told you a covenant is bilateral, takes two people, two parties? I want you to see something here. God made a covenant with Abram, and it was unilateral. He said, I'm going to do this. I don't know if he said this, but he's like, I don't really need you. Go to sleep. He goes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring you descendants. The Messiah is going to come through your line. I'm going to bless you with land, and it's going to be forever. And it was unilateral. And you're looking at me like, why is he making that such a big deal? Because now every day you get up and you turn on CNN or Fox or MSNBC or whatever you listen to or watch, and you see a war that's happening in Israel. And the reason it's happening is right here in this chapter. Because the issue is, did God give this land that they're fighting over to Israel and the Jews and the Hebrews? Or did he give this land to somebody else? And that's what they're fighting about, and that's what they've been fighting about since this time we're reading about. But remember, it's a unilateral covenant. Will you all raise your hand if you'll remember that? Raise your hand if you'll remember that the Abrahamic covenant is unilateral. Do you remember that? And it's eternal. And eternal means forever. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, there appeared a smoking oven, a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying... Here's the covenant. I cut your lawn, you give me 50 bucks. God's covenant is, I'm going to give you everything. (laughs) That's the covenant. Here you go. I chose you and picked you, and here you go. That's the covenant. Do you get it? And here's the thing. Now listen. It's not a discriminatory covenant. When we say we stand with Israel, yes, We stand with Israel. Of course we stand with Israel. God stands with Israel. But Israel does some tough things too. But it doesn't mean we don't stand with them. And we know the evidence from the Bible that they were given land in the land of Canaan. And it's been fought over all this time because we read this. To your descendants I have given this land. From the river of Egypt... To the great river. 
the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kezanites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Hit that map if you can hit that map, please. There's the land description. Look where Israel is in number two. I got this from a Bible study. Don't go out there and check that. I mean, you can go out there and check that Bible study. I don't know anything about the Bible study, but I know about what God gave them. And God gave them all that land. Look at that. Now you tell me, when has Israel ever owned that land? That's an easy answer. Or excuse me, when has Israel ever possessed that land? That's an easy answer. The answer is never so far. Now, under King Solomon, listen, it was bigger than what Israel is today. And you know, if we put a map up of current Israel, you understand that there's pieces within the rectangle that are not controlled by Israel. You understand that? And one of them, folks, write this down if you're a student or you didn't know this, is the Gaza Strip. That's what they're fighting about. This is what the whole war is about, is Genesis 15. There's also, folks, listen, up in the West Bank. The West Bank means the West Bank of Jordan. It's controlled by others, not Israeli. It's what this is all about. The Israelis are saying, listen, we want peace too. But what do we do? It's ours. And you all want to hone in and then you... Make a charter, 1985, mid-80s, Hamas makes an organization. If you want to watch an amazing, or makes their organization, if you want to watch an amazing sermon, go go listen to Gary Hamrick. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor in Cornerstone. Go listen to Gary Hamrick. He, he does a way better job than I ever would of describing this conflict. But listen, in 1985 or 4, it's the mid-80s, Hamas organizes this terrorist group. It's not a country. It's a terrorist group who organizes, and in their charter, in their organizing documents, get rid of Israel. I mean, it's right there in black and white. I mean, how can you argue? And so you see that. Hamas and others, Hezbollah, and their, their avowed purpose is to get rid of Israel. But the problem becomes, what do you do? God's given it to the Jews. And it's never happened yet before. Now again, I was getting ready to say this. I love what um, uh, Norman Geisler, I, I quote it all the time here, says about the nation of Israel. And he says this. I, I stole this from him, but I love it because it helps me understand. He says Israel is not a container of God's love. See, the whole world, CNN, all of them, other people, Fox News even sort of stands up and says, uh, you know what? They're the favored chosen nation, and they are, but listen, the implication is God loves them better than he loves other people. No, that's not true. God loves the Palestinian people, folks. He loves Arab people. He loves them. They deserve dignity, respect, 
we should be respectful and love them. Listen, Israel is not a container of God's love, like God loves them better. He just chose them, listen, to be a conveyor of God's love to the entire world. So it's not a discriminatory thing. We love them better. Or he loves them better. And sometimes when you listen to some of the popular people, it sort of comes along like off like that. It's not. He just chose them to deliver his love to a world that needs that, to his love, right? And so I have news for you and for me. You see that up there? That's going to happen. It will happen. God's coming back and is going to put everything right. And it will happen. Now listen, as we close here today, I want you to know that this chapter should have this intended effect, I think. It should free you up. The truth sets you free. You're going to know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. And the truth comes by the hearing of the word and obeying the word by the Spirit of God. Amen? And you become, watch, you become a maturing Christian. Your sanctification is progressing towards Christ-likeness. Right? Because the Bible says, positionally, you're never going to forget this, we are righteous, we have the righteousness of God. But practically, we still live on this earth with not our glorified, resurrected body. But so sometimes, am I right? You've sinned since you be, have you ever sinned since you became a Christian? Yes, and because the Lord is bringing you down roads of maturity as you uh, progress, and. Oftentimes, like my friend Kenneth, you get a fiery dart coming to you that says you're no good. And when you hear that you're supposed to raise the shield of faith, I want you to know something here. Today, as you studied these things in Genesis 15, you you don't raise the shield of faith like willy-nilly. Your shield of faith is, oh, you're trying to condemn me? I'm righteous in Christ. And I'm not perfect because I'm living a sanctified life. But for you to say that I'm condemned is wrong and not right because the Bible says, here we are standing in the promised land, that I'm there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who don't walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. And you know that and you go, wow. And then you say, and then sometimes you wake up in the morning and you say, I feel so cruddy. I can't believe I did that. Can't believe I did this. Uh, God is so mad at me and doesn't want to accept me back. I'm not even going to go to church. No way. And then you bring the shield of faith out and you don't do it willy nilly. You don't just bring the shield of faith out. You bring the shield of faith out and you say, well, wait a minute. I'm in Christ. I have peace with God. The war is over between me and him. Now, practically, when you hurt people's feelings, you don't bring the shield of faith out and say, heck with you. (laughs) Kapow. (laughs) Here's what you do. You say, wow, you're right. I was wrong. 
Did I hurt you? I apologize. And I wanted to ask for your forgiveness. And now I'm asking the Lord. The Lord, Lord, I did it. I'm asking your forgiveness and you're the shield of faith. And you just keep walking. Amen? Oh, man. What a freeing way to live. No more striving. No more straining. I don't have to climb the ladder. I don't have to be better than her or better than him because I'm already righteous. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for this afternoon. And we pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in our lives. That you'd knit this thing to our, just everything in us. Knit this here, Lord. So that you, by your spirit, would teach us to live in this way. Free! Free in Jesus. Wow, Lord, it's just so amazing to think about. And we praise you and honor you and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.